perhaps you, there's something in this message for you today. If you're more of a grace person, then you feel like sin should be dealt with in a more gentle way. And for you, there's something in this message, I believe, for you to learn as well. Now, all of us can learn a lesson from what I'm going to talk about today that will bring life change to you if you apply it, if you will apply this. It will bring life change to to me, to all of us. One thing that we're going to learn here today, and I believe the main thing I hope that we learn, is how we see others. How we see others. Now, the way we should see others, and the way, and I've spoken about this before, the way we, we should see others is to see them as God sees us. No matter what they've done, no matter what they've stolen from us, taken from us, said about us behind our back, gossiped about us, lied about us, it doesn't matter. We should see others the way God sees us. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a world, think about this just for a minute, we had a world, let's just even take that, a world, how about a community? Let's even do How about a church where every single person, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you think and how you feel like you should see them, that we would see everybody the way God sees us? What if we did that? What would happen? How amazing would that be? So you're going to see something in this story. You're going to see grace and truth in perfect Balance. So now, first of all, with truth. Here we go. Truth, when you see truth, you will see, or when you when, when truth is present, you will see the reality of sin. Truth cuts through it, and you can see when truth is spoken, when, when truth is present, the reality of sin. When you look through that lens of truth, you'll see the reality of sin. Let's look at John chapter 8 now, starting in verse 2, and it says this. At dawn, he appeared again, speaking of Jesus. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all of the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, this story takes place in a temple. And in fact, the temple was, let's just say like what we are here today. We're in a a church, right? The temple was their church. Now, this place was what was referred to as the outer courts of the temple, and people came to gather there. It was a popular place where people could come to gather, and it it was a custom that they would come and there would be rabbis and scholars that would teach the Torah or or the Jewish law and and would do that in the temple courts. Now, on this particular, well, let me just say it this way. If you think about it like, has anybody ever been to a Bible study, small group Bible study, whatever it is? Okay. That is what this was, essentially. People coming together to study the, the Bible. It wasn't necessarily called that at the time, but that's, that's, let's say it was a Bible study. So on this day, it was Jesus teaching or, or leading this Bible study. Now, right in the middle of what he's doing, he's speaking, and there's a crowd of people there, and in the midst of what he was doing in the middle of it, this disruption occurred. And, you know, it's something as far as I know, I, I don't know of any time that ever was recorded before this story or, or after it, and I don't know of any time after it where anything 
this is happening. Let's look at verse 3 of what this says. Now the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in the center of the court. Now that would be like, again, if we're looking at it like here today, like where we are here, we're gathered together in church. Let's just say right now I'm speaking and I'm talking to you and you're all gathered together and listening to me for what reason, I'm not sure, but you are. <laughs> but let's say right now there was a group of people, a handful of people right now coming right down this center aisle, accusing a woman, this woman has committed adultery. What would it do to this place? It would disrupt everything, right? It would interrupt everything. There'd be a, a people would be talking about, what are they talking about? Who is that? What did she do? There'd be a, a, a lot of noise going on, a lot of chaotic things happening. If that happened right now, that's essentially what the picture is. That's what was going on. So if you look here at verse 4, it says this. They said to him, this group of people, the scribes and Pharisees that brought the woman down, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now these are the, these, these elites, they're asking Jesus what he said. So his teachings interrupted. All these, you know, big shots, the Pharisees, the lawyers, they drag this woman down there. They're accusing her of committing what in our term today would be a felony, a serious offense, not a misdemeanor, a, a, a crime against Jewish law, and, and she was guilty of it. And, and again, as I said before, in fact, a capital offense. So now who were these people, the, the, the Pharisees? I, I, I've spoken about them before, and I think if you've ever heard me mention them, I'm not real favorable about them, <laughs> just say. I don't think they represented things very well. There's, there's some people in this world today that sort of act like them in some ways. I heard this uh, person refer to them one time, uh, the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, as the Jewish Gestapo. The Jewish Gestapo. The Gestapo, man, they, what these guys did was like that in the sense that they were, their whole purpose, they got up in the morning, got ready, put on their hats or whatever they did, they went out with the idea of trying to find people that were breaking the law and bringing them to justice. That was mostly all of what they were about. And they were experts, the Pharisees were, at spitting out truth. They would spew out truth but had no concept that other than knowing how to kill grace. That's just who these guys were. Now, the case against this woman was open and shut. There's no doubt about that. She'd been caught in adultery. But this story is not about the woman. Not entirely. Do you know what the story... Who, who, why were they dragging this woman down there? Was it to, to, to accuse her and to get her dealt with? Or was their real target someone else? Who was the other target? It's Jesus. It says it right here in verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. That's what I call a gotcha question. They're trying to trap him. Okay, Jesus, we caught this lady in adultery. You know what Moses said about it in the law. It says we've got to stone her. What are we going to do? This is what they're doing. They're trying to, to lay a trap for Jesus. You know what he does? You know what Jesus does? It's like all this commotion disrupting everything. They're coming in. They're asking him. They want an answer. You know what he does? The next part of 
were sick here. But he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He didn't answer. He just bent down and started writing on the ground. Now that raises a, a question for the curious. How many people are curious sometimes? Raises a question for the curious. I'm one of those. Why did he stoop down? And what was he writing? Right? And I'm glad to tell you this is a first. I'm sure you're excited about it. After all these years, I have an answer of why he stooped down and what he was writing. You want to know what it is? I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. If you don't know. And no one knows because it wasn't. there was never anything recorded about it. But what I do know is is that this is the only time that I've ever found, and I believe I've looked at it pretty carefully, that Jesus ever was mentioned writing anything. Now, I'm, I'm sure he did write things, but there was never a time where they showed him writing a letter or signing his name or anything like this. But, I, I, again, I'm sure he probably did, but there was nothing recorded that other than in this story. So, in any case, what I'm about to tell you is a little bit of speculation. You know what speculation is? So I'm going to go off. This is not, so I'm just saying it very clear. I'm not saying this is what happened. But I'm, I'm going to speculate a little bit. He bent down. He started to write on the ground with his finger. Now just think about it. All this commotion. They're accusing the lady. They want an answer. Here are these guys trying to trap him. And what happens? I'm going to show you what I think he may have been doing. Story in there, it could very easily. That would be a 
the stuff that goes on. And he just said, let any of you who's without sin throw the first stone at her. That's the end of the play. That's Act 3. End of, the, end of it. That'd be good. But it doesn't end there. Because with truth, again, with truth, we see the reality of sin. It cuts through the underbrush. You can see clearly through the trees. It, it, it does that. Truth does that. But also this. With grace, we can seek forgiveness for sin. With grace, we can seek forgiveness of sin. We're about to learn this real quick. So with truth, we see reality. I'm guilty. I did it. You're right. You caught me. No question. That's it. But with grace, we can seek forgiveness. We can see a pathway to redemption that we can walk down if we choose to. He had a way, Jesus did, of separating those things, the, the wheat from the chaff, if you will, and just cutting through the clutter, setting things right and in order so you could see things with clarity. Let's look at these verses again. Verse, I'm going to read verse 7 again. So as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then, he, he, then in verse 8 it goes like this. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. So he bent down, wrote on the ground, stood up, made one of the most profound statements in the history of man that has lasted through time. And then he kneels back down and he's right in his hand again. <laughs> These guys had to be completely confused by Jesus. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, Jesus was left alone with the woman and him. That's what happened. Now, I don't know if you can just imagine that for a minute. Think about that. There's this crowd of people. And after he gets up and says that, he kneels back down and dragging in the sand again. And then one by one, it doesn't say a big crowd just left. I can, do you, can you see this? Here's the one guy with the stone. He's like, I can't answer that. I'm out of here. And as he leaves, and the next one leaves. And then the next one leaves. And then the next one leaves. And pretty soon, all of the people, not just the scribes and the Pharisees, all of the people, the Scripture says, that were there listening to Jesus' teaching, they all left one by one, starting with the older ones. And then it was only Jesus and this adulterous woman. That's all that was left. Now, some may think at this point that she's good to go. He said that he who's without sin cast the first stone. Everybody's left. She's okay, right? She's in the clear, right? Here's the thing, though. She's still guilty of what she did. She's still caught in what she had done. So, again, what would her mind be thinking after all of this has happened is just her and Jesus? She had to be thinking things like, my reputation is going to be trashed, or when people walk by, they're going to whisper behind my back about whatever. When they, when they see me, they'll point and say, yeah, yeah, she's the one. Or if you, anybody ever read the scarlet letter, you know, she'll maybe have the scarlet letter on her chest for the rest of her life. These are things, and many more, have to be going through her mind because she's guilty of a very serious capital offense. And here's Jesus. 
polar opposites, 180 degrees, but yet standing there together. She's guilty, and he's guiltless. She's been caught dead to rights and sin. He's never sinned and never even considered it. She broke God's law. He wrote it. Right? This is the opposite. These two, you could even think that maybe she was thinking, well, I might have been better off with that crowd because now I've got him to deal with. This is the son of God right here. I mean, he had to be intimidating with all that just had happened. So she might be thinking there's a tsunami of judgment about to hit her. and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Now, remember when I said a minute ago that statement he made was one of the most profound statements in history? This one isn't known as well, but these five words might be as equally profound considering the circumstances. Here's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, Neither do I That's right. Neither do I continue. So now, if this story had been written today, if we, let's say if we made a movie today about this story, at that point when he says, neither do I continue, that's when the words the end come up, the credits start rolling, the music starts in, you start brushing the popcorn off of your jeans, and you get ready to leave. But here's the thing. That's, again, it, 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 it's not the end of the story. One thing I want to say, too, is, though, that when, he, when Jesus called her woman, that at the, in those days was a term of respect, in fact. As you may know, Jesus even spoke to his mother and called her woman. So it's not, I mean, I just wanted to make that clear because it's important because she was probably called a lot of names in her life. And most of them were probably mean-spirited or derogatory or uh, demeaning, even maybe profane. Some of the names that this woman with what she had done would be called. But nobody really probably ever called her woman, and not in the way that he did. He was speaking to her with that respect. And here she is looking at him, standing there with all these people gone and all that's happened. And she's, if she's looking at his hand, she sees one thing for sure, that he has no stones in his hands. And I think that maybe he's standing there and he's got this one hand full of truth, and another hand full of grace. And as he's approaching this, and as she is seeing this, it had to be something that just confounded her. And I want you to understand that the reason why Jesus did not condemn this woman, there's a reason for him. He wasn't giving her a pass or just looking the other way or pretending that it didn't happen. No, not at all, in fact. The reason that Jesus did not condemn this woman is because he was on his way to the cross to be condemned for her. That was his whole life. That was his whole purpose of being here. From the moment he came into this earth, he was on a mission and a life and a ministry, working his way to the cross to be condemned not only for her, but for you and for me. And for all of us, and for every sin that had been committed before that time, and every sin that has been committed to this time and beyond. He went to the cross to be condemned, 
so we don't have to be. Hallelujah. Have you ever wondered what God thinks up there when we mess up, blow it? Has anybody ever blown it? <laughs> For all of you that didn't raise your hand, please see me later because I'm going to talk to you about your truth telling. <laughs> but you know, he, look, we, we've blown it, we all have. You think about what God thinks. Have you ever heard the phrase uh, that sometimes you need to fess up for your mess up? Have you ever heard that? Man, when, when you mess up, if you come to God truly and you fess up for your mess up, you know what he's going to say to you? Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. That's God. That's God. So, you know, the culture would also like to end that story there. They'd like to end that story where neither do I condemn you. They don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. I'm okay. You're okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's all good. You're free to go. But that's not where the story is. So, again, with truth, we see the reality of sin. With grace, we can seek the forgiveness of sin. Now check this out. When you put these two together, grace and truth, will sh- we will show repentance from sin. How many people have ever repented for sin? But we don't talk about it enough. Listen to this. It's not the last thing that Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. It's not the last thing he says. The next part of verse 11 says this. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, and declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Without that last statement right there, this story would be incomplete. Without that statement, it would be all grace and no truth. Without that last statement, it would be giving grace at the expense of truth. How many people do that in this day and age today? There's a lot of people out there now, and there's churches. I'm not throwing rocks. No pun intended. But, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are just talking all about grace. I talked about it here a little bit one Sunday. I called it, and others call it, hyper-grace. Excessive grace. And, that, and, it, and if you want to just hear about grace, you can find it. Here's the thing about that. This is the way I, I look at that. There's a difference sometimes, folks, of what you want to hear and what you need to know. There's a difference. What I want to hear is one thing sometimes, but what I need to know is a different thing sometimes. And they'll tell you, man, some people will. And I'm not judging, I'm just saying, I don't care how you live your life, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it's good, God accepts you the way you are, it's all good. Let me tell you something about that mentality, about too much grace. Nothing wrong with grace now, don't get me wrong. Here's the deal, that is not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Now Jesus was full of grace, 
entirely, but he was also full of truth. And so you can't just say all of those things. That's not only Jesus, that's not this. That is not what this book says. That it's all good. He accepts you. I'm not saying he doesn't accept you the way you are, but he declares to you, go now and leave your life of, of sin. Just say it. Have you ever heard the phrase, God hates, uh, loves the sinner but hates the sin? Of course. Guess what? That's a scripturally sound, sound statement. Now, this is important. Listen, that woman that we were talking about, her sin was forgiven, but it was not excused. There's a big difference there. It was forgiven, but it wasn't excused. He wasn't ignoring what she had done with the wink and the nod saying, eh, you know, sorry, it's grace, you got it. The story is not teaching us that we can't call wrong wrong. This story is not teaching us that. It's not teaching us that we can't condemn the sinful actions of others. I want you to listen very carefully. If only sinless people were able to condemn things, we would have no justice in this world because there is no one without sin except one, right? Okay. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that we have, as believers, I'm talking about now, we have the, the, the right to condemn what God condemns, not what we think of. or what We have the right to condemn what God condemns. And in fact, I believe, tell me if you do, that we have a responsibility to condemn what God condemns. It's very important that you're hearing every part of what I'm saying there to be perfectly clear. We have the right to do it, but we also have the responsibility to do it. And, but, but again, to be perfectly clear, I want to say it like this. Are we to judge a liar? Popular applause or something, or not applause, but something, yes or no. Are we to judge a liar? Are we to condemn lying? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely not judge a liar. Absolutely, yes, condemn the lying. Are we to judge a thief? Absolutely not. Are we to, are we to condemn stealing? Absolutely we are. Are we to judge an adulterer? No, never, not one single time. Are we to condemn adultery? Yes, absolutely, every single time. Are you hearing me today? There's a reason for all this. Rob, if you could come now. Have you ever heard this term before? Who are you to judge? Usually they don't say it to you. They'll say it about others. Sometimes they'll say it to you directly. Who are you to judge or, or who are they to judge? Who are they to judge me? Who are they to judge? Well, let me tell you, I'm nobody to judge. You're nobody to judge. Pastor Bill's nobody to judge. The Pope's nobody to judge. But, well, none of us are in a place to judge others. That's not, that's not at all what we are here to do. But there's a difference between condemning the sin and judging the sinner. You hear me? Okay. So, Jesus didn't say it like this. He didn't say, if you go and sin no more, I will not condemn you. He didn't make it like, I guarantee, if you will, if you will guarantee me that you will not sin anymore, I guarantee you that I will not condemn you. That's not what he said. What he said in effect was this. Think about it like this. This is real simple. I don't 
so you don't. I don't, so you don't. See, Jesus is saying that I don't condemn you now. Now go and sin no more. A lot of people want this kind of a Jesus, though. They want this type of Jesus. They want a Jesus that says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin some more. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there, but that's what they want. That's not who he is. That's not what this whole thing's about. That's not how we grow in the favor of God. That's not how we grow in, in our walk with him. That's not how we truly become disciples and become Christ followers. We can't be not condemned and go and sin some more. We've got to turn our back on it. That's not the Jesus that's recorded in those biographies I was talking about. Because when Jesus offered grace, it was always measured with truth. Neither do I condemn you. That's grace. Go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. There's a biblical word for leaving your life of sin. I touched on a little bit before. Some people call it the R word. Repentance. We don't talk about it all that much. But let me tell you this. When you accept God's offer of grace, if you're going to receive his offer of grace, you have to turn away from sin because you'll see the reality of it and the judgment of it because it's truth. If you're going to receive that grace, you've got to be willing to accept the truth. And we're living in a culture where that, that, it's not what they want to say. They tell us it is wrong to call something wrong if they have determined that it's no longer wrong. Am I right about that? This culture says that if we say it's okay, it's okay. I don't care what that book says. I don't care what God says. If we say it's right, you say it's right. And if we don't do that, we're intolerant. We're haters. We're bigots. And guess what? If that's what it requires for me to condemn sin and stand for not for what this says and not what the culture says, call me a bigot, call me intolerant, and call me whatever you want. Because that's truth. But it has to be. It has to be. Now listen. It has to be measured equally with grace. Repentance is always connected to grace. But now let me tell you, if, you don't, if you're not willing to condemn what God condemns, not what you think is wrong. I'm talking about condemn what God condemns. If you're not willing to do that, you're neither loving or graceful. You might think you are, but you're really not. Have you ever met somebody, um, an unbeliever? I, I've met some before who who have talked about Christians and they say, man, I, I, they say they're a Christian, but they act another way. You ever heard that? I have. And I'll tell you, some of it is because there are some believers out there that want to, you know, just speak of, of, of grace. I, I mean, they, that's all they want to do. They want to show extreme grace, but they never share truth. Then there are some people, and I've been guilty of this, maybe you have too, I don't know, who just want to share truth all the time. And not measure it with grace. See, when people hear that out in the, the, the non-believing world, that's a mixed message to them. You know why it's a mixed message? Because that's not what Jesus was. That's not what he said. He was the perfect balance of grace and truth.
God gave us a voice to speak truth, but he also gave us a voice to speak grace. And if we don't use our voice for both, we lose our voice for either. Did you hear that? If we don't use our voice for both of those things, truth and grace, we lose our voice for either. So, last thing I'm going to leave you is with this. What we need to be and what we will be if we're full of Jesus. Say with me, full of Jesus. Who wants to be full of Jesus? Who wants to live like him? Who wants to be like him? Who wants to be like Jesus? If we are full of him, full of Jesus and all of his teaching and all that he has instructed us to do, if we're full of Jesus, we need to be and what we will be is someone who in a spirit of grace, please hear that, in a spirit of grace will always love other people enough to tell them. Grace.